You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Here we are in our fourth week of Advent, fourth week in this passage in Luke 2. And, and even four weeks isn't enough to get all the good stuff that's in this passage. What a great narrative story. Uh, not an uncommon question to ask this time of year. And that question is, what are some of your Christmas, Christmas traditions? Have you asked that of others? Has that been asked of you? And no doubt you've probably even been entering into some of those as a family during Advent and, and, and other things as a, as a family together. Our family growing up always had to open one present on Christmas Eve. Anybody else do that? So you got to open one present on Christmas Eve to kind of get you excited uh, in anticipation and desire for Christmas morning and opening all the presents. Another thing our family did, all, there's seven of us kids, and, and, and all what we did, we all slept in the same room together. On Christmas Eve, we opened up a gift, we slept in the same room together, we woke up together and rushed into the living room. Um, we still do this as siblings. We get together every Christmas Eve, who is ever available. We open up one present together. Thankfully, we don't sleep all in the same room anymore together. That tradition has died, as, as some traditions should. I've, I've met some people who open up all their Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Have, have you met these lunatics? Have you ever met? <laughs> yeah, they're not here. Some people do that. That's their Christmas tradition. Is, is Christmas Eve, they open up everything, and then Christmas morning, they decide uh, what they're going to return. And uh, I've been a recipient of some of your wonderful Christmas traditions, like cinnamon rolls and uh, uh, molasses cookies. I have some on my desk this morning. I saw it. There's still time if you want to bake something. I, I, I will gladly take. If you want to start new traditions and baking things for your pastor, that's a great tradition to start. So there's some foods that we make maybe once a year. And that's part of our Christmas tradition. Watching some of your favorite movies uh, around Christmas time, like It's a Wonderful Life, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Elf, right? A Christmas Story, which I didn't know it was called A Christmas Story. I thought it was called You'll Shoot Your Eye Out. Uh, I didn't realize it was called A Christmas Story until I was an adult. Some of you know why. Um, we've created some new, new traditions as a family, mostly revolving around just telling of the gospel story slowly over 25 days, uh, incorporating activities every night in the month of December with our children. Uh, retelling the gospel story slowly over the entire month has been a great tradition. So whatever your tradition is, think of this. Christmas music, uh, singing, baking, um, gift giving, storytelling, all are, are a cherished way of keeping the story of Christmas central in your heart and in your mind during this time of year. And isn't that, that's what traditions do. The purpose of a tradition is to rehearse and to remember or to enjoy a story. Something has happened, you, you rehearse, it's, it's, it's a time in your life where your rhythm of your life changes. And you stop your normal pace of life and you enter into some reasonable activities that make you remember something very important. It's a way of making a story unsuperficial. It's taking something that has potential of just being a memory and bringing it into your life in a profound and meaningful way. They say that if you're, if you're a pastor who preaches for 30 years uh, and does an Advent series every year and a Christmas Eve service every year, uh, might preach up to 150 different sermons on the Christmas story. It's a lot, but that's okay because you guys don't even remember what I preached last Christmas. And so I can preach it 150 times. Um, and it's also okay because Christmas has incredible meaning. The story of Christmas is, is loaded with meaning. 
And so to rehearse this and to remember this and to build tradition around it 150 times over the course of a few decades is, is still not enough. Because, Chris, because traditions have a way of offering meaning to a story. Traditions have a way of making a story stick in the stickiest kind of way in our life. Traditions are really meant to create two experiences for our lives, which we'll talk about this morning. First is the experience of us taking hold of a story. It is meant for us to enter into it, learning the facts of it, and rehearse what it means. And second is to have the experience of the story taking hold of us. Do you see that? The tradition is meant for us to to enter into the story and for the story to enter into us. That's what happens in the shepherds in our story that we read this morning in our passage. They hear a story. They go and see of this story that was told to them. They witness the news around this story, and their lives are forever changed by the story. They go back to their lives as changed people, never looking back. We focus on verse 20 this morning of Luke chapter 2, and here's what was read. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The Christmas story, as you remember in Luke 2, it starts this way. It begins with this glorious opening of heaven, and the angels are singing the news of God's praise and glory and the birth of Christ. They're proclaiming the birth of Jesus, and then the shepherds are told to go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. And they rush to Bethlehem, they run there, likely out of breath, in wonder and admiration of what had, been, had just happened. It closes then with the shepherds looking at what had happened and then returning to their sheep in the pasture as changed people. With the experience of the birth of Christ leaving them forever changed, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. Let's move through these two experiences more closely for the shepherds and for what it means for us. One, celebrating Christmas is the experience of us taking hold of the story. First of all, it's important to remember what was told of the shepherds. How did they go and take hold of the story? The shepherds were told to go and see, to go experience something, to go and see of something that had taken place. And it wasn't a religious experience. It wasn't a spiritual experience that they were to encounter. It wasn't, hey, go and you will have this spiritual moment with God who created you. They said, go and see what's happened. A child's been born. Go and see Jesus. Go and see a baby. To experience the story of Christianity and to experience Christmas is not to encounter primarily a new perspective on life. It is primarily to experience a person. It's to experience Jesus. It's not even primarily to come into an experience of a certain code of morality or doctrine or theology. However, those are extremely important and necessary. But primarily, it is an encounter with a person. It's an encounter with Jesus. And that's why the angel said, go and see. Go and see Jesus, child that has been born today. Go and see the answer to all of your troubles. Go and see the hope for all that is wrong and broken in this world. Go and see the answer to everything that makes you sad. He's arrived. Peace has come. Peace on earth has come. Go and see Jesus. To experience the story of Christianity is to have an encounter with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the shepherds go and they see 
Jesus. And they come to realize as they see Jesus many true things. For one, they come to realize that God has come to be with them. God is with us and God has not forgotten us. When the angels say, go see Jesus, they're telling, the angels are telling the shepherds, God hasn't forgotten you. You're not alone. God hasn't abandoned you and rejected you. God has actually journeyed to you and gone through, through, through infinite bounds and, and, and uh, infinite um, distances to get to you. This is important for them. It's important for us. God feels at times distant and detached, doesn't he? Sometimes he feels impersonal. We pray to God and we wonder in the time of struggle, does God care? Is he listening? Is he personally involved in my life? How do I get this communion with God that makes me feel like everything is going to be okay? Well, something that the shepherds realize very quickly as they look into the face of Jesus is that God has remembered me. And he hasn't abandoned us. The shepherds come to find that God's not forgotten his people that he doesn't wait for us to kind of get our act together and to become perfect, but he pursues us and he doesn't stay idle. Whatever you're going through, whatever struggles you're facing, whatever distance you feel between yourself, your life, and God, we should know because of Christmas that God does not stand idly by just watching us suffer. And when we look at the face of Christ and, and, and see, go and see and hear about what has happened, we ought to be remembered that even though God feels distant at time and impersonal, and maybe it, it feels in my, in my heart that he is detached from my life, he's with me. He's present. He hasn't forgotten me. God's affection and longing to be with us are always greater than our affection and longing for him. Now, let, let me say this again. Do you desire closeness with God? Do you desire to be close with him? Do you desire to feel God's presence? Do you desire to have a, a relationship with him? Do you desire to cry out to God and for God to hear you and respond to you as a good father would? Do you desire for him to be as a friend? You know what I mean. To have a closeness with God where you're not afraid of whatever happens in your life, but you have confidence and rest that there's a God who cares for you. Whatever desire you have for that, God wants it more. He wants it more. His desire and affection to be with you is greater than your affection to be with him. And he has come to be with us. And as the shepherds saw this, they're like, God is here. God has come. The angels say, go and see the promised, the promised one that God promised to save and rescue his people so that they would never be alone ever again. It's happened and he's born today. And they're like, could this be? Could this really be true? And they go and they find and they see him and they say, it's true. God is here. God is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's going to be with us forever. There's a way to be with God and to know that he's present in our life now. We don't have to worry if, he has a, if he's forgotten us. The angels sang of such joyful news of Christ's coming because Jesus was so excited to be born and he was so glad to die for his people. And second, they come to learn that they can't save themselves of course, the news that they believe is a, is a message that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. This message is, 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 I bring you good news of great joy. These angels say that born to you this day in the city of David is a savior. And they sing peace on earth. And this great joy, this great peace that is being proclaimed is because this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God's grace. You may have rightly heard about the reputation of shepherds during the first century, during biblical times, during Jesus' time. 
They were not people of social standing. They were not people of, of, of much economic means. They were not educated. They didn't have social power. Uh, their testimony was often not reputable. They knew their, their lowly position in society and that the affection of God is not given like the affections of kings and the affections of famous people. You see, the effect, kings and famous people often give their affection to people who are useful to them. God pours out his affection and this joy and this peace on these lowly people. It's given to them as a, as a, as a gift of sheer grace. And they, as they go and see what has happened, and they're like, who are we that the angels would come and tell us this message before they told royalty, before they told the famous, before they told the rich and the well-off? What a gift of God's grace that we would be welcomed into this. And the shepherds learn that believing in the good news of the angels overcomes their greatest fear. This is literally what the angels say to them. Don't be afraid, but go and see and understand what we're telling you. Go and see and understand what we're telling you. Here's the principle. If you take time to comprehend Jesus, if you take time to really soak in what does it mean that Jesus has come, and all the promise of his coming, and then he has, in fact, has come, it will remove all fear that often dominates our lives. Fear of rejection, of alienation, of uncertainty about the future, of getting things right, of being in control of our life. If we comprehend and can really see and understand the meaning of Christ's coming and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection... It will dis diminish the fears that, we, that often burden our every day. The shepherds rejoiced and worshipped God because they saw and understood Jesus, that he was Savior. There's nothing more terrifying, I think, and unnerving in our lives than to live with the burden that we must save ourselves. There's nothing more unnerving than the burden that our future destiny or the well-being in our life or the acceptance with God and our favor with him depends on how good we do in life. There's nothing more terrifying. That's not great news. Who of us can stand before God with confidence based on our own record and character that we would earn his favor just based on the choices that we've made? If the God who created you is the God who also gave his life for you, then you can trust him. Not just with pockets of your life and compartments, but you can trust him with your whole life. So much so that, that fears that you carry with you begin to diminish in your life. Slowly over time, it starts chipping away of the insecurities and the fear and the burdens that you carry. You can trust him. There's another experience in this passage, not only the experience of the shepherds entering into the story, but also the story entering into them. And so do you see, like, it wouldn't be enough for the shepherds just to go and see and be like, wow, the angels were, were right. The story could end there, but it doesn't. There's, a, there's another experience that must happen that we see to really understand Christianity and also understand what Christmas is all about. Celebrating Christmas is the experience of the of taking hold of the story, or then the story taking hold of us. Not only of us entering into the story and seeing Jesus and say, oh, that information that's been transferred to me, I agree with, but it's that coming into our heart 
in the essence of what that means, coming into our heart. God did not just come to give these shepherds information so that they would know true facts. The angels gave this message to the shepherds so that they would be changed forever, so that they would be transformed, so that they would be rescued, so that they would be saved and loved and accepted. At Christmas time, we, we often set up Christmas trees. We bake cookies, we sing songs, we maybe listen to a sermon or two, but these bits of traditions are useless if we don't stop and ask ourselves, what difference does it make in how I live my life today? You know, so many of us might say, I love this time of year, and I'm one of those people. I, I love this time of year. I love the festive gatherings. I love the cheerful singing. I love your cinnamon rolls and molasses cookies. I love it all. But does it change you? Are you, are you different because of it? Are, are you different on December 26th and January 12th and, and March 15th? Are you different any day of the year because of this entering into this story? What I'm asking is, has the story entered into you? Has it, has it transformed you? Or is it, has it just been a, a mere transfer of information? Say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christmas. I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he has done. I've gone and looked at Jesus, and I've observed that baby, and I believe in the story and the credible, the credible testimony of, of Scripture. I believe that these are true events that truly happen. But if it doesn't change you, don't you realize that it's meaningless, it's useless? What's, what difference has looking at Jesus made in your life? Put yourself in the shepherd's shoes. Can you imagine witnessing what they witnessed on that, that night? Seeing the skies open, the angelic hosts singing in praise, staring in the face of Jesus who is God with us. This, this child will grow and take my sins away through his own sacrifice. Understanding the weight of the situation in that journey hearing the news of rescue and salvation for sinners, and then can you imagine going about your life as if everything was normal? Without having real repentance of sins, without giving your life to Christ, without trusting in him with everything? Of course not. You can't think of it like that. It's absurd to think about it like that. Thanksgiving Day and on a moment after, Christmas music is on nonstop in our house and in our car. How many Christmas songs have changed your life? How many Christmas songs and listening to them have changed the way you live? And maybe for your moment you're thinking, you know, this year might be the year. I, I think I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to roast some of those chestnuts on an open fire. I'm going to do it. I've never done it before, but I hear about it and I hear it's really good. How many Christmas songs change you as you sing these songs and you hear them? Do they make you live differently tomorrow or they, do they just make you feel good? Imagine if the shepherds just went and felt good and they just went and they saw all that had happened and say, isn't this wonderful that these things that were told of us actually happened? Well, let's just go back to our lives as if nothing should change. It's possible that some of you have entered into the story of Christmas. You know Jesus, you hear about him, you believe in what he has done, but that story hasn't entered into you. It hasn't made a difference. You haven't changed. You see, belief in the gospel is, is not a one-time decision, but an ongoing expression of our dependency and trust 
in Jesus, putting our faith in him and standing firm in his truths. To believe, to, to, to behold, as the, as, the, as the angel said, behold. It's a word that is not easily translated today. And so I remember talking with one of the translators uh, as he translated this ESV version of the Bible. And he said, behold is one of the words that we kept in the Bible because there's no English equivalent. It means to know, to experience, to embrace, to trust, to receive, to let it enter into us and to change our very lives. And the angels say, behold this. Don't just go and see and learn. Don't just become smart as a Christian. Don't just learn doctrine and theology. Let it transform you. Our experience in the world is connected not with our circumstances, but the reality of our knowledge of who Jesus is, our relationship with him, and his forever promises to us. We don't live our lives based on the circumstances that we face. Our life doesn't change. Our confidence in life doesn't change based on what happens to us. Because we are anchored not just in information that makes us feel good. We're anchored in God's forever promises. And then he enters into us. His presence is with us. When we see and look at Jesus, here is what we see when we look at him. That God laid aside his heavenly glory and he became a man. And in all humility and humiliation to the point of death, he gave himself to live our life and to obey the Father perfectly. He died for our sins. He's our only hope of a restored relationship with God. But will this seeing turn into believing? And will this believing turn into praising? And will this praising turn into a life of worship? Here's what we see with the shepherds. They hear information, they go and see, but that doesn't change them. That doesn't change them in seeing. They go and they see. They rejoice. That story enters into their life. They go back to their life as changed people. We, will we join in the angels by glorifying God? Will we join in with the shepherds by praising God? To glorify God means that we let him rule in our hearts and in our lives. It's his opinion and reputation that matter more than anything because he is worthy. He's worthy. We sing praises like the angels sing because he's worthy of that praise. He has not forgotten us. He's come to be with us. He's come to save us and rescue us. He's come to not just diminish our fears, but to defeat our fears and our greatest enemy, the devil, sin and death itself. Let's say you believe in the testimony of the shepherds. Let's believe you believe in, let's say you believe in Christmas as true things that happen. You believe that Christ has been born to bring peace between each sinners and God. You believe he grew up and he died for our sins and in him we have forgiveness. But what difference has that belief made in your life? For the shepherds, having seen the glory of heaven and the glory of the heavenly host appearing to them and a child born exactly as it was told to them, they could not go on thinking as themselves as the center of the universe. They could not any longer go on thinking that God's favor and acceptance of them was based on who they were and what they could do. But it was now based on God's sheer grace, his initiation with them, and his pouring out his life for them. The glory of God would readjust their perspective, it would readjust their thinking, it would readjust their values, it would readjust their worship and what they felt important in life. And so it must, it must readjust ours. 
Because this is not just an experience with a testimony. It is it's not just an experience with a story. It's an experience with that story coming in and changing our heart. Because Jesus is born, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of God's rejection of us because of our sins. We don't have to be afraid of failing. We don't have to be afraid of losing control in our lives. Christianity is not about self-improvement. It's not about accumulating doctrine. It's not about getting certain things right. Every other religion will tell you what infinite lengths we must go through in order to earn favor and acceptance with God. But Christianity allows, uh, it shows us what infinite lengths God has gone through to have peace with us. This is how we know that the Christmas story has come into us by resting in Jesus as our ultimate substitute. It is, it is as the shepherds look at Christ and they believe that, that this child was their savior. Not just that this child was born, but that this child would save them through his life and death and resurrection. Everything Jesus did from the moment of his birth until his ascension to the right hand of the Father, he did as our substitute. Every moment he was awake and every breath that he breathed was done on our behalf. Every time he suffered, every time he prayed, every time he was rejected and despised and beaten, every time he was alienated by his friends, every time he was mocked, he did it in our place. Every decision he made was made on our behalf. And he didn't make a single mistake. And therefore, he became a perfect substitute. A perfect and acceptable sacrifice to God. By representing humankind and for dying for humankind, he's also able to rescue humankind from the burden of sin and all of its consequences. As far as the curse is found... As far, this is how these songs change us. We, we, we sing these songs. As far as the curse is found, this is where God's grace will restore. Joy to the world. Well, how far does that joy go into your life? Is it a sentimental joy? Is it a superficial joy? Every Christmas tradition is meant to sing of this reality. And until we know that his love is greater than our sin, we will never be free from the burden of sin in this life. We may believe in the Christmas story, but we functionally express disbelief in the Christmas story when we let the burden of sin and the problems of life rule our life. You see, we may believe that Jesus was born, but if we let the problems of this life continue to burden us to the point of despair and hopelessness, then we haven't let that story enter into our heart at a deep level. So whatever discomfort you experience, whatever regret that you're dealing with, whatever circumstances have the potential to define your reality, think of this. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a Christian if you struggle in life. Of course not. But it means that there's an area of your heart, deep within your heart, where the good news has not pierced through where the good news has not transformed, where God wants to pierce through. There is an area of your life where the story must enter in and God wants to continue to push deep until you have the fullness of joy, until you are satisfied, until you rest in him. 
until your whole life is one of a life of rejoicing and worshiping in God. There is an area of our lives that the story of Christmas has not yet entered into and transformed when we are suffering under the burden of sin. So let, let today be the day where Jesus is the hero of your story, where, where you live in light of Christmas, where it's not just information and facts, but, the, but you've had an experience with the story entering into you. Like the shepherds, go, go quickly to Jesus. Run in haste to behold, to understand, to grasp, to comprehend, and to enjoy. Do not be afraid. He will meet you. He will welcome you. He will give you his rest. Let's pray.